Hi, this is Ben Lowell of Back to the Bible Canada. Living without worry seems unrealistic to most of us, but Jesus taught a completely opposite view. Today, Dr. Neufeld teaches us from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34 in a message called, Don't Worry, Be Trusting. So let's go back to the Bible as we continue our series, The Greatest Sermon Ever Preached. In 1988, musician Bobby McFerrin sang a song that became an instant hit. It was called Don't Worry, Be Happy. No instruments, just some whistling and incredibly simple lyrics. Part of the intrigue of that song was its appeal to a different way of living. Don't Worry, Be Happy, sang McFerrin. Everyone thought the song was charming, yet very funny, because everyone knew that as much as you wanted what McFerrin offered, you couldn't live that way. Let me quote some of the lyrics. Ain't got no place to lay your head. Somebody came and took your bed. Don't worry. Be happy. The landlord said the rent is late. He may have to litigate. Don't worry. Be happy. Ain't got no cash. Ain't got no style. Ain't got no gal to make you smile. Don't worry. Be happy. Because when you worry, your face will frown and that will bring everybody down. Don't worry. Be happy. When that song first came out, the words, don't worry, be happy, were a standing joke between people. You get fired, don't worry, be happy. You have cancer, don't worry, be happy. Your children hate you, don't worry, be happy. Your house burned down and you have no insurance, don't worry, be happy. You know, we all laughed at this because as appealing as it was, it simply wasn't possible to live that way. In Matthew 6, 25 to 34, Jesus presents us with a very similar thought, and yet a very different thought. Just like Bobby McFerrin, he tells us not to worry, but then instead of presenting us with a humorous and impossible ideal, he presents us with something that can actually be achieved. You really can live without worry. I call this don't worry, be trusting. Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, you'll notice that this text began with the word, therefore. This passage is connected to the previous section. Jesus has just been teaching his followers that they must not lay up for themselves treasures on earth. But if we don't, what will happen to us? I mean, if we are to take risks for the kingdom of God and commit ourselves to serving God and not money, abandoning the treasure of this fallen world and investing our resources into the kingdom of heaven, isn't that just a nice thought but not realistic? 
You know, I've met many people who will tell me that they fear poverty. That's what motivates them to work hard. In fact, I found this very same attitude among people who struggle financially and those who are wealthy. The nagging fear is always there that something bad might happen. And simply saying, don't worry, well, it's not realistic. Anxiety and worry motivates us to take care of the necessities of life. Worry is good, or is it? The medical effects of stress are well known. Headaches, elevated blood pressure, chest pain, problems in sleeping, depression, panic attacks, and so on. Stress can lead to deadly illnesses, including heart disease and cancer. Mental health professionals tell us that many people, in order to relieve stress, turn to things like alcohol and drug abuse, both legal and illegal, gambling, illicit sexual behavior, all things we do to take our minds from the fears that dominate us. But these behaviors end in a vicious cycle because the very thing that relieves stress at first adds to it later. In short, anxiety, worry, and stress will change your life, and it will lead you away from God. And Jesus was right to point out that if he is asking us not to lay up treasures on earth, something more has to be said. We need a promise that if I dare seek the kingdom first, that the king himself will take care of me. And so in verse 25, Jesus tells us not to be anxious about the daily necessities of life. For he asks, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? There are two ways to see Jesus' question at the end of this verse. One way is to see Jesus saying, your soul or life and your body is greater than food and clothing. Therefore, since God has already given you the greater thing, that is, he's given you your life, won't he now give you the lesser thing, that is, your food and clothing? If God provided for your life, he will also provide for the smaller things. Is that what Jesus is saying? Well, perhaps. But there is another way of seeing this. One of the characteristics about anxiety is that it is all-consuming. When you worry, your life narrows down to a very few things, like, how am I going to make it? So let's say you're worried that you'll never have enough money to pay your bills, or enough to realize your dreams, or enough to retire on, or enough to go to school on. What will happen? Your entire life will be about money. The anxiety in you will focus your entire life on that one thing. And Jesus, if I understand him rightly, says, your life and your body are about so much more than money. See, that's why some people never grow in life, why life is never rich for them, why the best things about life never even occur to them. Why? Because worry has stolen the grandness of life and the grandness of the kingdom from them, and all they can concentrate on is that one thing that consumes them. Isn't life more than food and clothing? How many of you have ever heard someone who says, I don't have time for that. I mean, I have to put bread on the table. What you don't have time for is life. You can get to the far end of life and have been so consumed with worry over daily necessities, you never lived, you never believed, and you never saw God in the small things. It's the person who will allow the job to steal away their family and steal away those precious moments they could have treasured and more so, steal away any opportunity to know God. That's what worry over daily necessities does. So what's the antidote? Well, faith is. But how can my faith overcome my anxiety? 
I can't just be told you should trust God more because the moment I try, the anxieties of the necessities of life simply overcome me. She asked the majority of Christians who have played it safe all their lives why they never took a risk for God or abandoned all for the kingdom. Ask them why, and they'll tell you, I couldn't afford that. And in response, Jesus says, you need to consider God's provision. Verse 26 invites us to consider the birds of the air and God's provision of them. There are two misunderstandings about this verse. First, Jesus is not saying God is just going to drop bread into your mouth from heaven, that you can just quit your job and God will take care of you. I mean, think about it. That's not how God takes care of birds. Birds spend their days searching for food. They, they build nests for their young, and they take care also to feed themselves. In short, birds actually work. The same must be true for us. Consider how the Apostle Paul urged Christians to live in 1 Thessalonians 4, 10, and 11. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. So, lack of worry doesn't mean stop working. If you stop working in order to prove God's provision, let me say from a biblical perspective, you're not to be commended. You're just lazy. Jesus is not saying that God is going to drop bread into your mouth. Second, Jesus is not saying that sowing and reaping and gathering the harvest into barns is a bad thing. I, for one, am glad that farmers do that. It puts bread on my table. He's not saying be as careless as birds. So what is the point? Well, actually, it's quite simple. Look at the birds. They have a very different way of being fed than you are. None of the things that are the necessities with you are the necessities with them. They function so differently, and yet in the end, can't you see that God's hand has provided for them? Indeed, all of nature is a grand lesson in God's provision. He provides for fish, for birds, for animals, for trees, all in accordance to their own unique ways. Do you think that you, created in the image of God, and more so, you who are redeemed by Christ's blood, of all of God's creation, that he will not also care for you. Think about that. Worry is something that affects us all. And in a fallen world, this is even more apparent. Even Christians are prone to worrying over all kinds of things, big and small. But Jesus teaches us that we should not worry. In fact, he issues it as a command. It is that important. For if we fail to heed his instruction, we find ourselves drifting further away from him and from a life of purpose. Did you know that all of our messages from Dr. John Newfeld are available for free? Listen and download the latest broadcasts. Search the archives for a particular series. Read Dr. Newfeld's articles or weekly blog. Become a monthly partner and so much more. And be sure to check frequently for our new improved website for all the latest ministry updates and resources from Back to the Bible Canada. The new website is easy to navigate and mobile friendly, so you'll always have access on the go. Just visit backtothebible.ca today. Now let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Newfeld. You may work hard, and that's good, but you don't have to worry. Because in the end of each day, you can say, Thank you, O Lord, 
for I know that your storehouse has not run dry and will not run dry. Consider the provision of God in nature, then apply that to yourself. Now to verse 27. By worrying, we can't add a single hour to our lives. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto a man to die once, and after that the judgment. You know, it's possible to read that verse in such a way that we all have an appointment with God and that God has determined the actual date of that appointment. God has the date of my death written in his daytimer, and all my worry won't change that. But there's more. As a believer, I know that the date in God's daytimer is not a horrible thing. Listen to Psalm 116, verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. I love that. God doesn't view my name in his daytime or as a dreadful thing, but a precious thing. So put it together. My name is in God's book, and that date is not fearful. God lovingly wrote it there and sees it as a precious day when he will whisper my name to usher me into his holy presence. God, whose providence controls all things, completely controls my death. So if you're given to worry, consider those two things. God's gracious provision for all of our daily needs is promised. All the days of our life and God's loving providence over my lifespan is assured. God's got that thing taken care of. Isn't that enough? Shouldn't that end my anxiety, especially if I take it to heart and meditate on that? Now, as an aside, Some of us need to take some time to be alone and meditate on these truths. Just ponder them. Let them fill your mind. Consider all the implications. Go back to it again and again until you get it. But Jesus still isn't done. Here's a third point. In verses 28 to 30, where he invites us to consider the lilies of the field, and he invites us to consider how lavish God is with these things. Solomon was not dressed in such splendor. I've been contemplating the qualifying phrase in verse 30, which today is alive, but tomorrow. Doesn't it seem excessive to you to lavish the grass with such beauty? Isn't it a waste of creativity to pour out such care on something which is here but for a moment and has so little value? Well, apparently God doesn't think so. Human creativity simply can't compare to what God does with flowers. Solomon, who had all the resources he wanted available to him, simply couldn't reproduce what God would do by touching that small, transitory flower. You know, my wife Kathy and I often go on hikes together. One day after church, we went with some friends around Pitt Lake, which is a beautiful area where we live. It seemed everything was alive that day. The trees were filled with leaves and the variety of colors and the the sounds of birds filled the air. And along a stream, we noticed the beaver dams. And I found myself in wonderment again at the stunning world we live in. I know that the mountains will be here long after we're gone. And the stars in heaven will have their luster long after my body has decayed. And God really does reserve a splendor for the grandest of things, not just flowers and grass. But in fact, he infuses beauty in the smallest, most transient, seemingly insignificant things. And that's the point. God is lavish. He pours beauty into things that seem like nothing. Have you noticed that? Does that stun you? Well, it does me. And what does it mean? 
Do you think that a lavish God will withhold his excesses from you, O you of little faith? And if that doesn't yet make sense, consider God's priority. Where do you think you fit in the scheme of God's affections? Do you really think that he puts more effort into birds and flowers than the ones he sent his son to redeem? Don't you see what worry is? It's an insult to our Creator and our Redeemer. Against the mountain of evidence of God's lavish providential provision, would you really think that He will not take care of you? Now to verses 31 and 32. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. See, I find this a fascinating part of the discussion. The Gentiles Jesus was referring to, literally the ethne, or the nations around Israel, are seeking all these things like food and shelter and clothing. You know, we know something about the Gentiles in Jesus' day. The Greco-Roman world looked to the gods to care for the necessities in life. And the problem with the gods was that they were fickle. You might have appeased them for one moment, but they might turn against you in the next. So in reality, the Gentiles, the ethne, had every reason to worry, but takes this thought into our culture. See, there are many who have no God at all. They rely on things like luck or getting a break. If things randomly turn against them tomorrow, they have no recourse. Of course they should worry. But what if we have a God who sent his only son into the world for us? But someone might say, well, wait a minute, I know God loves his own, but sometimes his own do suffer. Well, yeah, that's true, but the suffering of God's people is never a random act. Listen to James 1, 2-4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God may introduce hardship into your life in order to bring a beauty into your life that will leave you lacking in nothing. So I can't promise you that you'll never suffer, but I can promise you that God will take care of you, that he will guard you so that only those things intended for your eternal good and his glory will be allowed into your life. Now to verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You know, this is one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, and there is a beauty in its simplicity. Seek the kingdom first. Notice what it means. First, Notice that in this life we seek many things, and that's not necessarily bad. Jesus never said, seek only the kingdom, as if there is nothing else I should give myself to. You know, I once spoke with a woman who felt that if anyone took time for hobbies or relaxed watching an entertaining program on television or simply enjoyed having a cup of coffee in a coffee shop with a newspaper— Rather than utilizing the time for praying, well, she thought they probably weren't a believer at all. See, the wonderful thing about the gospel is that it is balanced, not extreme. God is creator of all things. So it really is okay to enjoy a hike in nature, to take interest in music, 
to study science and mathematics, to have a hobby in photography, to become an expert in business, to learn another language, to have coffee with a friend and laugh until the tears roll from her eyes. All these things really can be done to the glory of God. And that's why working hard and being wise with money can become an avenue in which I care for my family and other things as well. But I've noticed something. You can hike in nature and do photography and all the other functions that people do and be entirely self-indulgent. You can do all these things I mentioned and be completely out of the will of God, self-focused. That's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. Of all that interests you, nothing should stand higher on your list than the things of Christ's kingdom. That includes knowing what you believe and, and why. That includes trusting Him in all things. That includes learning the life of holiness and praise. That includes using your money for the kingdom. That includes learning to share the good news of the gospel with others. It includes learning to forgive your enemies. It includes learning to subdue the passions of the flesh. It includes loving your enemies. What's most important to you? People? Objects? Leisure? Family? Pleasure? Money? Work? career, how about education? God will never compete with these. He demands that we seek first his kingdom, and then he promises to add all other things as well. You know what worry is? It's practical atheism. It's your way of stating, I don't believe that God is in control of my future. It's your way of stating, I can't give God more. God doesn't provide. God doesn't even notice me. Would you today change your mind? Don't worry, start trusting. Do you struggle with worry today? Perhaps after listening to this message, you begin to see how a a life without worry and trusting in God actually looks like. For one, nature itself gives us an example of how much more God will provide for our needs and take care of us, for we're made in His image. But the lesson about worry is also a reminder that we must always put the things of God and His kingdom first in our lives. This is what we must seek above everything else. Jesus says He knows what we need and He alone controls our destiny. So let's put our complete trust in Him day by day and stop worrying. Don't miss tomorrow's study as we wrap up this week with the greatest sermon ever preached with Dr. John Newfeld. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. If you've been listening regularly, you've probably heard of our newest upcoming ministry trip from April 24th to May 5th, the New Testament Greece by Land and by Sea Tour. This is a great opportunity for you to experience what it would be like for the Apostle Paul on his missionary journey as he worked to spread the gospel throughout the ancient world. Along with just 80 other guests, you'll visit many of the iconic locations, including Thessalonica, Corinth, and Athens, plus the island of Patmos, where John penned the book of the Revelation. Enjoy an amazing 12 days sightseeing, but of course, learning from God's Word with Dr. John Newfeld. Be encouraged with Laugh Against Phil Calloway and worship with special guests, the Weebs. For more information, call us at 1-800-663-2425. 
That's 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.